twists, so stay tuned. <laughs> Let go, remember? But we do that, we say, as a reminder that we are indeed all connected. We are connected. Outside of the flaming chalice that you see on our new sign and on the wall behind me and above the entry into the sanctuary and right here before us, outside of that flaming chalice, there is maybe no more popularly known defining characteristic of Unitarian Universalism than that expressed in our seventh principle, where we covenant to affirm and promote respect for the interdependent web of all existence. We are connected. The very mission of this congregation is to deepen connections. And the rest of the statement describes some ways we will do that by nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice, and inspiring joy. That is how we will deepen connections. We are connected. We recite this truth, we repeat this truth, we remind one another of this truth because the idea that we are self-contained, self-reliant, self-sufficient, solitary beings is a stubbornly resilient illusion. You will notice in the seventh principle, well, how would you notice? Tell you what, everybody get grab your hymnals. It can be the teal one or the gray one, whatever. And if you open to one of the first few pages, you will find a reading that begins, We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote. It's in one of those first few pages. How many have it already? Oh, excellent. Good, good. And now, if you will see a list under that of our principles and look at the line that begins respect for the interdependent web. Okay, so let's read that together. Respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Isn't it interesting how that sentence ends? of which we are a part. Is that really necessary? One would assume if it is indeed the interdependent web of all existence that we would be a part of that, right? But I think there was a real wisdom conveyed by the people who crafted this and the congregational delegates who voted to approve this as one of our principles, a recognition of that stubbornly resilient illusion that we are self-contained, self-reliant, self-sufficient, solitary beings, a recognition that this illusion was so stubbornly resilient that we would need to be reminded, even within the space of a single sentence, (laughs) that we are connected. We are connected. I've taken to signing some of my emails interdependently yours. More more as a reminder to myself than as a message to others that I am a part of this interdependent web of all existence. 
But words are funny things. (laughs) You can quote me on that. (laughs) Sometimes words through repetition gain resonance, and sometimes words through repetition lose power. Interdependence is real, but it sometimes fails to effectively carry the full weight of the truth to which it points. That is why I so appreciate the words of Martin Luther King Jr. from the letter he wrote when he was arrested for participating in a peaceful demonstration against racism and racial segregation and held for four days in a Birmingham, Alabama jail. It provides the first line of the responsive reading that Allie led you in today. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. You see, respect for the interdependent web of all existence can sometimes set up this unfortunate vision that the web is something we are viewing as if from the outside and choosing to respect, which is why we have to remind ourselves at the end that we are a part of it. King starts from a very different place. You see, the interdependent web of all existence can be beautiful and inspiring and sustaining and hopeful, but it can also be hard and harsh and frustrating and ugly and terrifying. It is not good or bad or for us or against us. It is just reality. King's words say to me that we are not just a part of it. We are caught in it. Caught And he goes on to describe what we are caught in, an inescapable network of mutuality. He is recognizing here that there are times that we will want to escape it. That retreating into that stubbornly resilient illusion that we are self-contained, self-reliant, self-sufficient, solitary beings will feel better, safer, more manageable, more comfortable. We will want to escape Good luck, he says. If you want to deal with reality, if you want to get real, as we talked about in the first Sunday of this month, then you start with the reality that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We can deny it, but we can't escape it. And to the extent that we deny it, we send ripples of pain and confusion and misunderstanding and miscommunication along that interdependent web of all existence. We are caught, he says, and in case we didn't get the message, he continues by saying that we are tied in a single garment of destiny. Tied. He did not choose to say that we are clothed in a garment. The interdependent web of all existence, the fact that we are all connected, is not simply this season's fashion that we can choose to don or to undon. Is that a word? No. (laughs) I guess the actual word is doff. We can choose to don or doff this particular piece of clothing. No, we are not wearing this garment. We are tied in it. Caught and tied. Those are strong words, implying a certain helplessness and vulnerability. Herman Melville, in his novel Moby Dick, of all places, 
has a similarly powerful and frightening revelation of connectedness. In this section, Melville's narrator, Ishmael, describes the duty he is assigned of holding on to his friend Queequeg while the latter inserts a blubber hook into a captured whale. Stay with me here. (laughs) From the ship's steep side did I hold Queequeg down there in the sea, Ishmael says, by a rope attached to a strong strip of canvas belted around his waist. It was a humorously perilous business for both of us, for before we proceed further, it must be said that the rope was fast at both ends, fast to Queequeg's broad canvas belt and fast to my narrow leather one, so that for better or worse, we two for the time were wedded. And should poor Queequeg sink to rise no more, then both usage and honor demanded that instead of cutting the cord, it should drag me down to his wake. So strongly and metaphysically did I conceive of my situation then, that while earnestly watching his motions, I seemed distinctly to perceive that my own individuality was now merged in a joint stock company of two, that my free will had received a mortal wound, and that another's mistake or misfortune might plunge innocent me into unmerited disaster and death. So you get the picture. Ishmael is on the ship. Queequeg is on the whale outside the ship. It is Ishmael's job to keep Queequeg steady and safe by means of the rope that is attached to them both. But he realizes that it is just as likely that something that happens to Queequeg could destabilize them both. And the rope that is meant to keep Queequeg safe might actually end up dragging Ishmael off the boat. What starts out as, in his own words, a humorously perilous business ends up being serious indeed and ends up having ramifications far beyond the task at hand. Ishmael continues, and yet, still further pondering, I saw that this situation of mine was the precise situation of every mortal that breathes. Only in most cases, she or he, one way or other, has this Siamese connection with the plurality of other mortals. If your banker breaks, you snap. If your apothecary by mistake sends you poison in your pills, you die. True, you may say that by exceeding caution, you may possibly escape these and the multitudinous other evil chances of life. But... Handle Queequeg's rope heedfully as I would. Sometimes he jerked it so that I came very near sliding overboard. Nor could I possibly forget that do what I would, I only had the management of one end of it. I will not read the whole of Moby Dick. (laughs) But it's really good, I have to tell you. (laughs) But I love that section. I mean, in other words, though Ishmael is literally caught in the rope's knot and tied to his friend Queequeg, 
thus seeing that their fates are intertwined, he comes to realize that he and everyone else is metaphorically caught and tied to a number of people, from doctor to banker to grocer to landlord and beyond, that we are vulnerable to the actions of others and that our fates are hopelessly intertwined with a vast number of people, indeed intertwined with the web of all existence of which we are a part. (laughs) And now that I've made the interdependent web of all existence and the fact that we are all connected seem like something out of a horror movie, (laughs) let me assure you, I don't mean to leave us there. Martin Luther King Jr. certainly didn't leave us there. I said that all of our fates are hopelessly intertwined. They are also hopefully intertwined. We need one another. As much as the interdependent web of all existence, our inherent connectedness, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny, caught and tied in Ishmael and Queequeg's rope, As much as all that leaves us vulnerable to the harmful actions of others, it also means that we are the grateful recipients of the compassionate actions of others. Lean on me. Because we need one another. It is all through our principles and our sources and our mission and our hymnals Melville's passage ends with Ishmael's realization that he only has management of one end of the rope, which he finds rather frightening. But that same fact is also immensely encouraging. We each have the management of our end of the rope that ties us all together, our strand of the interdependent web that connects us all. And what we do with that matters and has potentially positive, life-giving, transformative ramifications for all to whom we are connected. We have talked about integrity being, at least in part, acting in accord with the principles and commitments we profess. So if, first of all, we accept this reality that we are all connected And further, that respect for this connectedness, this interdependent web of all existence, is a guiding principle in our lives, then we are challenged to act responsibly toward that reality and that commitment. We come here each week to practice. And remind one another that we are connected. That is why the Ministry of Generosity invites us to ask questions like, how can I bring generosity into this moment? When have I been the grateful recipient of generosity, and how might I pay that forward? How might I express generosity not only through tangible gifts, but in my way of being in the world? That is thinking about how to manage my end of Melville's rope. That is why Beloved Conversations asks us to unearth some of our buried assumptions about race and ethnicity, to deconstruct some things we've been taught explicitly or implicitly within a society still gripped by the tenets of white supremacy. 
to consider not only what we intend, but how what we say or do is received by another person. As the man in the story learned. This is not for the purpose of making people feel guilty. This is based on the reality that we are connected, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, and that we thus have a responsibility to learn all we can about ourselves and one another so that we may act ever more compassionately and responsibly toward one another. It is pointed toward raising our awareness because we believe in the very hopeful premise That if we know better, we do better. The man in the story learned something about how he was managing his end of the rope and the harmful ramifications of the stories he was telling on those around him because we are all connected. When he came to know better, he did better. And here's one more thing about that image of being caught in an inescapable network of mutuality Tied in a single garment of destiny, it is clear when we picture that that we can only move forward together. Increasing my own generosity helps not only others but myself. Dismantling the structures of white supremacy helps to liberate not only people of color but everyone. That is part of what we mean by terms like collective liberation. We are tied in a single garment. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are connected. We are connected. We are all connected, and we need to remind one another of that, and we need to practice living that out with all the integrity we can muster. We cannot afford to spend any more time flailing away with that stubbornly resilient illusion that we are self-contained, self-reliant, self-sufficient, solitary beings, that nonsense of I built this, because that causes immense harm. And because we know, as Reinhold Niebuhr says in our hymnal, that nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we are saved by love. That's good news. We need one another and we are connected and we are saved by love. And if we keep those truths before us, then truly we shall hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. So may it be. The lyrics to the hymn we are about to sing were written by African-American poet James Weldon Johnson. It was first performed as a song by 500 schoolchildren in 1900, celebrating the birthday of Abraham Lincoln, and it was soon adopted as the official song of the NAACP and became a popular song of the civil rights movement. Please turn to number 149 in the gray hymnal, Lift Every Voice and Sing. Mark will introduce it, and then you are invited to rise in body or spirit and join in singing.